everybody. It's your girl Joy has questions coming to you once again this amazing Sunday. Um, I have my albuterol ready um, because I know my asthma is going to get sparked. I have my amazing guest here, Toussaint. Come on. What up, what up, what up? Say hello, hello. This is one of the dopest um, freedom fighters in the city of Chicago. Like truly, when I say he is in the trenches, he is with the folks the most. Everybody from... Whatever your set is, he is down to, like, make a difference. And that's something that really resonates with the youth, unlike everybody else in the plated luncheon community. So I am very happy to have a real one sitting with me right now, as well as the fact that I'm just trying to gather myself from, you know, the topic of the day, Queen Bee. <laughs> but we are going to get into that a little bit later. So starting off with You Better Know. Um yeah, continuing with what I said last week and just the fact that I know I'm supposed to be going down like with actual what happened the day of, but I just have to comment on James Weldon Johnson, a.k.a. the original Zaddy. Like, when I heard Beyonce start with that, lift every voice, I was like, oh my God, we're really going here. So if you don't know who James Weldon Johnson was, he was born June 17th, 1871 in Jacksonville, Florida to James Johnson and Helen Louise Didlier, who were young professionals of Caribbean descent. He attended Atlanta University, which later became Clark Atlanta, so big up to Clark. He was a prominent member of Phi Beta Sigmas, Sigmas getting representation, come on now. He was also a part of the African-American coalition that got Theodore Roosevelt elected in 1904. It was appointed from 1906 to 1913 in Venezuela and Nicaragua as a U.S. consul. So pretty much before Diddy and French Montana was wearing their matching ass fashion over outfits and, you know, bopping all over the globe, stealing people's women. James Weldon was like, I am the blueprints. I'm here for it. He was a key member of the Harlem Renaissance. So basically, he then turned around and became Drake's granddaddy. I'm like, come through, James. And with his writing poetry and compiling the work of others, he is known for some of the most amazing bodies of work. This is a man who wrote God's Trombones, which is noted as being one of the preeminent collection of African-American Negro religious oratory books ever. And one of my favorite poems if you have not read the creation get your life together it is one of the most first off I will never forget it. my daddy made me memorize the damn thing but it is one of the most amazing poems and this is all while he in 1900 decided that he was going to do a little ditty known as lift every voice and sing so it originally started as a poem you guys so while we heard Beyonce with her 35 inches you know in a frontal actually I think that was leave out but the point is as we saw her performing it yesterday, this is something that happened in 1900 and 1905. His brother added music to it. And the first time that it was performed was in front of Booker T. Washington as he was introduced to the school that James Weldon Johnson was actually the principal of. Now, when we talk about first, this is the first African-American to ever be admitted to take the state bar exam in Florida. He is the first African-American to do so in Duval County. He is the first... Uh, what else did he do that was, oh, also the first African-American to sit here and become a professor for NYU. His work with the NAACP as a field secretary led to one of the most uh, important cases that were ever discovered in regards to the lynching of L persons. I'll be talking about him later. And then he's the first black secretary of the NAACP. I'm just saying first, first, first. He was lit as all hell. Then had the nerve to be cute with a lining. Like, come on. Before there were automatic clippers. Do you know how epic he is? Like, 
this is what gets me hyped. When I get a chance to sit here and talk about people that actually did shit within the community that didn't get all bougie and go, you know, well, I am the cornerstone of blackdom. No, no, no. So I'm celebrating James Weldon Johnson, um, giving him a big ups that he is due. Because when I think about people that I really want to admire and look after, it's people that, that actually made moves and did it in a way that was like, I don't care if I have on a suit and you were out here picking cotton, we're going to rise up together. And that's the shit that I respect. So at the end of the day, salute him he died in 1938 preemptively um in regards to being in a car accident but the legacy that he left in the short 67 years that he was alive is literally what continues an aspect that continues to feed us today so beyond beyonce's booty shorts which were epic damn she got a cute butt but beyond that james weldon johnson is definitely someone that i wanted everyone to know so We've been positive. We have, you know, started things on a high note. And now we're just going to get to the real. Um, so according to IG, um, this week has just been, you know, pretty much of the same in terms of black people, you know, just trying to stretching and surviving good times. Like just trying to do the most. But we're just going to get the bullshit out the way so that I can end on a happy note. Two black men profiled in a Philly Starbucks as they waited for a family friend. They had the police called on them. Um, it was around 95 officers that showed up to put them in zip ties um, and to carry them outside because clearly their muted tones just had a pinch of too much baritone that put everyone on edge and made everyone feel unsafe. Um, they were basically accused of trespassing because we know that, you know, CP time says that we don't show up on time. But white people time says if you don't purchase anything within 25 seconds, you are now deemed as a criminal. So uh, a young woman by the name of Melissa DePino, she recorded the incident and White people did something that I wish a lot of them would do, which was ask questions. Because apparently they can do it and be defiant and, you know, ride in the city when the Cubs and the Eagles win and just get away with it. So they asked questions in regards to why the men were being arrested. Didn't stop them from being arrested. Starbucks, you know, sent out this soft ass marshmallow apology saying, you know, we would never. And these are not the standards that we agree with. So Toussaint, in regards to that incident... Is it just like a huh, more of the same for black people? Like, what's your perspective on that? I absolutely think it's more of the same for black people. But, you know, I think it's also the definitive of what America is, right? Amer All of that is more of the same for black people, right? We are, we're feared in America, right? Feared and revered all at the same time, mm -hmm. right? So I, I'm, I'm less concerned about how Starbucks responds and more concerned about how we respond, mm -hmm. right? We got to stop asking for equality and start asking for equity. Those are different conversations, right? So I don't want to go off and say, well, you know, Starbucks isn't guilty or Starbucks doesn't have a role or responsibility in this matter. But when I see the response from our communities about these kind of uh, uh, these incidents that happen perpetually, right? Right. This one just happened to be captured on film. It just happened to be captured on film by white folks. And it just happened to be captured on film by white folks who was asking questions and defending the brothers that they, uh, they, they, they were arresting. Right? right. But the reality of the situation is how much is a cup of coffee in Starbucks? Because I don't support it. I wouldn't know nothing about that. Um, well, I, I was a heavy uh, Dolce cinnamon drinker, so that was around like five dollars and seventy four cents. So let's say it's five dollars and seventy four cents. I have spent ten thousand dollars in Starbucks. Absolutely since right, and we got a median net worth of seventeen hundred dollars. You ain't got no business in being Starbucks in the first place, 
Right? That's just the reality. Look, that little green and white cup means something. That's exactly okay? what it is. We buying the green and white cup, not the coffee. You understand? True, because in all truthfulness, intelligentsia is way better. Starbucks is trash. It's burnt. I don't even know what that is, but I can make it just <laughs> at the crib and it tastes great. You know what I mean? But I think we kind of we kind of define ourselves by our ability to navigate white spaces. And mm-hmm. Starbucks happens to be a white space that we can access. Right? Exactly. So we feel cool getting that green and white cup. We have to let, we got a, I got a godfather who's 90 years old. He's 90,000, right? And he said something to me one day, and it just, I st- it stuck with me. He said, too, you got to have a zero-grade reliance. And I was like, what's that mean? He said, don't believe shit them white people say or do. Zero-grade reliance, right? And I'm with it. I'm really with it. That's really the answer to me. So when we buy into these ideas, and, and again, too, right, I make my whole living in marketing. So I understand how that, that game works, right? right? And we really do define ourselves by our ability to navigate white spaces. So that cup, that green and white cup is corny, but we align ourselves with the brand and feel different. We feel better about ourselves. You know, and that you actually bring up a really good point in terms of the difference between equality and equity, right? Mm-hmm. So. I have to keep it real. I've been conflicted over Starbucks for some time now based on the fact that they have a a straight pipeline into prison labor. So Mm -hmm. you have prisoners that are sitting here bagging up, you know, chocolate covered coffee beans and, you know, sending them out to the masses. And I'm just like, they making like literally pennies to do that. Um, And then Starbucks saying, you know, making the same. It's like, well, it's still being done in an ethical way and diversity. What? First off, what diversity when there are more black men or men of color that are in jail now than there were during the entire uh, slave uh, transatlantic slave trade. Ten percent of the black pop, ten percent of the black male population is in prison. Exactly. So I'm just right. like, what are you talking about there in terms of like diversity? So that to me just sounds like a bunch of PR bullshit. But then on top of it, like we are on the trajectory of black people to have. trillion worth of buying power in 2021. Now, how much of that comes back to our community? Zero. But let me stop that little illusion, too. We popped that $1.5 trillion off like it's a big number. Really, what that does is speak to the level of poverty in which we operate at. So we have, what, 44 million black people in America. Mm -hmm. Let's say we break that in half, say half of them is kids. So that makes about 21, 22 million of working class or working age, right? What's the Asian population of America? About, let's say, a third of that? Yeah. You know what they buying power is? Way more. No, it's not way more. It's 1.2 trillion, right? We're at 1.3. They're at 1.2, right? We dominate the workforce. Not dominate in regards to economics, but dominate in, in regards to population inside the American workforce. Okay, gotcha. Right? The average white spending power of the year is 10 point something trillion, right? And if we really do the studies and you really do the math, that, ten, that 1.3 that we bragging about that just came out, it was the same eight years ago which means we're not growing, right? So economically, we don't have any buying power. It's the fucking illusion. Y'all, I promise y'all I went to college. I just feel really slow right now. And yeah, I did my research. Okay. It's an illusion, <laughs> right? So but Peep Game, though, it, it really talks about how we're regressing, right? They're saying by 2025, the, the African-American net worth will be zero. That. So when you start looking at that, you say one in, one in three, or was it one in three or one in five black men across this country are unemployed out of the three largest states in America, 50% unemployment for African-American men, we losing. We really losing across the board, but we buy into imagery and illusion. So people here, 1.2 trillion or 1.3 trillion, like, shit, we, we spending money out here. No, the fuck we ain't. I think the biggest thing is when I look at the spending power, like, 
we're a culture that because we've been given little, well, we have been given nothing, right? So we put so much into the materialistic, what we think is material success to feed back into ourselves. So it's like, you get on, you got to get a Benz. You get on, you got to get a, a BMW. But I'm going to go back to the illusion. Oh, no, that definitely is tied into the illusion. Right. Um, but it's like, it's, it's good fillers, you know, because... If I have these things, maybe I'll be treated differently. But I'm like, how many stories have I even personally heard of? Like, my friend's like, oh, I got to keep my lab coat on. As you're leaving in these nice-ass cars, you know, from your job. Because in the event that you get pulled over, it'll probably be a warning and not someone hassling you like they would Shaniqua or, you know, someone who looked like G Herbo or Lil Bibby. Because, oh, you you might get away with it because you kind of have status. But they're still treating you like a nigga in a coop. Like, the so, concept is still there. I've always been treated like a nigga in a coop. I've never got this. The, you get a warning status that don't work for me, and I drive nice cars, right? But I drive. It's strategy for me too, right? I play in the game too. I got to play the game as well. I drive nice cars, and at the end of the day, that's because I know that opens the door for other people's imagination, and they give me more money than I'm asking asking for, right? They're willing to negotiate when you look like you already fit the bill, right? And that's part of the game. But it goes back to our understanding of. Or our, our, our willingness to navigate white spaces. Right. So if you look like money, we they're bound to spend more money with you. Oh, right? definitely. So as a businessman, it's just part of the investment in my product, right? It's part of my product. So you know, I play that game as well. But I don't have I don't have any intrinsic value in them damn cars. I could give a shit, and I buy them used, and they don't know the difference. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just just the reality, like, right? We just gonna get this off Carmax. Bay Somebody went in on me on Facebook like you drive a, a, a Audi. Who you think you talk? Like saying you know like that was of of, of status or something. If it stops and goes and gets me where I'm going, I'm going to jump in it. But I do own an Audi, too, right? Because okay. I know when I pull up to certain events, I got to look a certain kind of way. Of course, when you're at the Black Creativity Gala. You got to do what you got to do, baby. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep. You got to play the game. <laughs> you're like, uh, babe, go ahead and get my uh, my patent leathers out for this one. But Ali, Muhammad Ali has a great quote. He was getting interviewed by Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell was like, man, you talk all this black power shit. He was like, but you drive a Rolls Royce. And Muhammad Ali said, nah, fam. I drive two Rolls Royces. And he said, Come because on, if God. I didn't have them, they wouldn't listen to me. And okay. that's the realest shit in the world. You know what? And also, even if we're just going to go on this little segment of Muhammad Ali, my favorite Muhammad Ali quote, which is, I think, a piece that a lot of celebrities or just prominent African-Americans completely overlook, right? It's the fact that he was like, yeah, I have this nice boat. I have all these things. He was like, if I can't come back to my community, all of these material possessions that I have don't mean a damn thing. And that is the one thing where I look at him, I'm like, this is a man that you can say whatever you want about his personal life or he was a woman, whatever. That was his life and he was doing him, you know. But at the end of the day, when you look at him in terms of his activism, you cannot say for a fact that he did not love the fuck out of black people. And then when you are willing to sit here and let your passion, let something that you actually love individually go for the greater good of everyone else. Like that to me, I think speaks way more volumes. Yeah. I love Muhammad Ali, man. Outside of my father and probably my godfather, he's like one of my biggest idols, you know, plus my, my family's originally from Kentucky. So we got direct connections and relationships. You know, I did a project with Susan, Susan Taylor a few years back and, uh, it was hosted at the Muhammad Ali museum in Louisville. And it just was a, that was a, an experience that I just can't forget, man. I learned so much more than I actually knew about Muhammad. Mm-hmm. You know, he was—he really was a tremendous dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I think I, I think Ali is the poster child, right? Because what Ali really did, what he really did, was he sacrificed capitalism and his freedom and freedom to to make a point, right? Which lets you know that the money—he didn't value the money. It wasn't the money that he valued, right? And I think when you start. So that's some of the other conversations I know we want to have today. When we start looking at Muhammad Ali, 
and we realize what he did and, and understand that the kind of the stature that he has today, right? Well, if you really want to leave an impact on this world, then you got to be bigger than money. And I don't think we operate in that space. I think capitalism is God for most of us right now. Well, I mean, I always say this. This world isn't black and white. It's green. Like, we operate on, or these corporations, they'll say sorry. But I know if all the black people start drinking Starbucks, they're going to say sorry in a whole other way. Be like, no, we're sorry, and what can we do to make this better? Now it's just like, let's just put out a statement because that'll just pacify them, and then we can go back to business as you as normal. But I will say this one thing I've noticed, even with this Starbucks situation that I have not seen necessarily with others, people were readily offering up, specifically in Philadelphia, alternatives to drinking Starbucks in that area or black-owned alternatives. Now, I will also say this. I tried to do my little Googles. There weren't too many that I saw, which is a part of that larger conversation, how we don't have any equity, we don't have any, or on the same level. Mm -hmm. But I will say it was still better than just saying, well, we need to boycott Starbucks. Mm -hmm. How? Because let's be real. Ain't nobody giving up coffee. And secondly, right, where's that call? Even those alternatives, where them coffee beans coming from? Who's distributing that? Who's getting it over here? We still paying the same man. True. I right? mean, it's coming from South America. Yeah, it's coming from South America by way of Mr. Charlie. Yeah. Let's be clear about that. You know what I mean? So we just got to, we have to have a bigger vision in my opinion. Right? True. I think boycotting, I think uh, riding in the street, whatever it is, I think all of that is just a marketing arm of revolution. We got to re-envision. The real revolution is of the mind. Gotcha. Right? That's where it starts in my opinion. And I don't think we're really there yet. Okay, so the police chief, I saw that Ross said that he stood by the officers, but then yet they put out a, a tweet that basically said, um, "Well, we're going to do our internal investigation to see if the response of the officers and everything was correct." Blah blah blah. Regardless, we already know the settlement's coming. Like <laughs> he also made some other statement, like they were belligerent and they didn't. Did you see that part of it? I didn't see that just because every, and also I don't know if that is the full video, right? Okay. I see, we all have seen the video of like them being arrested, mm-hmm. you know, 55 million officers showing up. And then also white people rushing the counter to the actual Starbucks staff and just be like, no, what, why did you even call them in the first place? Um, yeah. But I didn't see anything I haven't seen any video that refers to them being belligerent. In fact, Melissa DePino, when she was getting interviewed, she said, like, they didn't do anything. Like, they stood there the whole time. And maybe part of it was, like, that defense mechanism. Like, as a black person, you know how in recent years these situations turn out. you just like, you know what? I'm just going to stand here. Isn't that the irony of racism, though, right? Even if they were belligerent, right? Yeah. You, you have no reason to be harassing me in the first place. So I should be have the right to be belligerent. To be belligerent. <laughs> and, it, and that's the thing. It amazes me how whenever these situations happen, right, people get confused in terms of, like, freedom of speech. I can say, as long as I'm not making a terroristic threat to the police officer, I can curse him out. Like... Now, that may not go well for me in court, or he may, like, try and find something else that he now can charge me with, but I'm like, I don't have to sit here and smile. Oh, thank you. No, just give me the fucking ticket so I can go. One thing you got to know is that police officers are people. They are. Right? I accept that. And, and, and if you meet them with certain energies, it's funny, right? I got a, 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 a plethora of relationships and friendships, right? Right? And they kind of scam it of all lifestyles, Right? And I remember one time when I was probably like 19 and I was in the car with a buddy of mine who was, he's a super criminal, right? And uh, the police pulled us over and the way he was talking to the police was beyond my scope of understanding, right? And I was nervous because I know 
he's a super criminal. And I'm like, what this boy got the cop in his car next to this fool? Who knows how <laughs> this is going to play out, right? But when he addressed the police in that way, the police were afraid. And that fear showed. And they said they didn't want any more trouble just going about your day. And I thought that was so interesting. They told him they didn't want no more trouble. I'm sorry, sir. Let me go about your way. They said it like that, but it was a, it was obvious that they were in fear of that man. You know what I mean? Did he just start spitting off like laws? He just no, nah, he wasn't spitting off laws. He was spitting off street energy. Like, oh, this is it, fam. Got this you. what this is. You know what I mean? I ain't need whatever. Break right? it down too. You know what I'm saying here? Like, wait, what's happening? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like, motherfucker, why you pulling me over? Well, Thank you. I curse on this podcast. Like, I don't right? give fuck. Like, say what you want. So it was interesting to me. And, and years later, I remember one time, man, I got into an argument with my wife, and I was mad as hell. And the police pulled me over, and I went the fuck off on the police. And he said, "Sir, just pull over and go on about your day, man." That's how it ended. I <laughs> just said, I told him flat out because I, I didn't have my driver's license. I didn't have nothing. But I just was in, it just was a bad day. Right. And I said, I tell you what, I guarantee your ass I ain't going to jail today. I guarantee you that shit. So you play it how you want to play it. But I guarantee you that shit. Come through too. And he got in his car and he drove his ass home. He was in the car, you know what? I ain't doing this goddamn paperwork. Yeah, I don't feel like this shit today. They human. Like my sergeant you know ain't saying? even home. It ain't even the paperwork. I don't feel like wrestling with this nigga. You know what I'm right. saying? Whatever it is, I'm not dealing with it. He you probably hit your wife. Are you good, ma'am? Is this just an art? Okay, so, fine. Man. I don't care. Work it out. Man, my bad. Go, go about your way, sir. Right. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. You know? So I've had a bunch of incidents with the police just by the nature of my home energy and just, you know, growing up in Chicago. So. You know, they they pan out different kind of ways sometimes. You know what I mean? I mean, it's always a gamble, but I will say it's just when we talk about like the lack of relationship between law enforcement or the two sets of laws that exist between people of color and white people. Like, I think the Starbucks video is just an excellent example of the fact a white people know that this exists because clearly as they were speaking up, they weren't you know ignoring the situation. So whenever. It is shown. They know it's happening. It's just because they're in a power struggle or power situation of, well, it's not happening to us. So that's y'all problem. Um, but then also when I look at it, it was a great example of just like to even challenge officers sometimes is can be a life or death thing for us. Whereas that, mm-hmm. especially the, the white woman that was recording or the white man that was sitting, the family friend who was just like, they were waiting on me. What is the problem? You know, how that can be something that for a person of color, a black person, that can end horribly. It you could, know, but also, so I'm radical, right? We know it just is what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm. I think we do need to kind of match force with force. <sighs> Call it what you must. No, no, no. I'm trying to figure out how because I feel like this is about to get very. I'm gonna like... hit you with this line that my ninety thousand year old godfather <laughs> hit me with. Right? He said too. The most fundamental question in manhood is, can you whoop my ass though? Which is why that's the title of the book. I feel like that for real is like a, a level a of mantra. manhood for black men. Like It's a mantra, but it's not, though. And that's the goddamn problem. It's really not. Black men really pop that shit but don't want no beef. They don't want no trouble, right? And that's the illusion. That's the sad part of it. Masculinity has been watered down. But shit, there's been an attack on masculinity since we hit the shores in Jamestown, Virginia. That's the reality, right? So... As the years progress, we've just gotten worse and worse and worse. And when you really start to understand our community, you realize that we live in American patriarchy, but the black community is a matriarchy. You yeah. got to understand that. So what that means is that the man has really kind of operated in a space devoid of masculinity, devoid of manhood. So in a real way, I'm a fucking anomaly out here, right? But I don't come from what the vast majority of us are coming from. I come from an intact family. My father had his father. So right. You know what I mean? We come from a different kind of energy. Right. So 
when you really start to understand our community and the men in our community, they don't operate from that space. They, don't. they do it on 71st Street, but they scare the shit on Michigan Avenue. Oh, ha, ha. You understand that can be a show in itself in terms of breaking down, getting the hood into a downtown space and how you see all of the different issues, just yeah. whether it can be at a mall or at a restaurant or walking down the fucking street. You can, it's almost like some days you can see the fear of just like, let me get the fuck back to where I'm from because that's Absolutely. what I'm comfortable with and what I can deal with. Absolutely. But I think that's something that when I was looking at the Starbucks situation, I do agree with you in the sense of like, we have to be more, I agree, well, I say this all the time, I'm more excited than I am Coretta. I love them both, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely more so run up, run up, get done up, especially when I'm not letting microaggressions or at this point, like just flat out aggressions or attacks on my community is something that can affect truly myself and the people that I love and care about. Like enough is enough. Like I'm not reconciling shit. Like yeah. James Baldwin said, you, you've had enough time to like either come to grips with it, accept it. We ain't going nowhere. And yet these situations still keep happening. So we get the term of being angry when really we're a very docile community. Very docile. Slavery in itself is enough to make us be like, you know what? I wish a motherfucker would. But no, no, because we keep trying. You seen Black Panther? I'm sure you've seen Black Panther. Um, the question should be, how many times okay. have I gone to well, a concert? Well, you've seen Black Panther a thousand times. We know you're Killmonger. Right. I'm absolutely kidding. We know you're Killmonger. I'm going to make this this argument, though, the day after. And I got some hangers about Wakanda and Black Panther, too, but that's irrelevant. But what, what struck me is there was a conversation of, with a group of men that made the statement that when, uh, what's my brother's name, Killmonger, when he made the statement that he buried me with my ancestors, right. yada, yada, yada. And there was an argument about how those ancestors were really the cowards. And I said, man, this is the damn Twilight Zone. Wait, 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 wait. The ones that chose death. to take their the own lives. Yeah, that, that's the coward move. The guys who endured slavery was much more uh, heroic. Okay, so But that's the, the that's the that's the insanity of our community. When we get off air, you tell me the name so that's I can unfriend them. Right? That's the insanity of our communities, right? And I couldn't even fathom the conversation. Like, what? I think, and even if we're even going to go there, right? So let's just keep it real. When I think about the statement that Killmonger made, mm-hmm. or the choices, if you are in a situation where you are going into, unknown, you clearly are going, this ain't like around the block, and then I'm going to wind up back at my, you know, my village or my house or with my tribe in a couple of months from now. Like, your life is over as you knew it. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, as soon as they capture you, the dehumanization and the psychological turmoil begins, you know? So they mm-hmm. automatically completely don't know anything about you, clearly don't want to know anything about you. And then on top of it, it's your last controlling thing that you have of your own autonomy. If I am a, and this is a story, I will say this guys too. Also, if you've never heard the story of Masavana um, and what he basically did, how they basically took over a slave ship um, and he spent his life, he ended his life on spending it on Robbins Island. But the point is, I will never forget when I was watching that documentary, one of the black historians, she made an excellent point. She said they they forgot the fact that those people were still thinking as free men. Like they were trying in the process to start this psychological torment, but they were still trying to break down free thinking men. So if I'm a free thinking man, I'm not dealing with this bullshit because I'm not whatever it is that you have planned for me is not the life that I have ever wanted to see or live for myself. So I would rather kill myself than do this bullshit with you. Death has to be on the table. Thank you. It like, has to be, right? Power conceives nothing without demand. And in that vein, in that very statement, death 
has to be on the table. It has to be. Okay, let me go to a place of light and happiness for me. That, oh, where's my albuterol? I know this like, The nerves I have. Okay, because these are, we are like oil and water when it comes to this. So yesterday, Beyonce officially got me. Now, Ted, uh, drink your water. So to everybody, to everybody who wants to sit here and be like, just got you. Let me go into this explaining. I'm not apologizing to the beehive. I have never sat here and tried to bring down this black woman. It was just for the longest. I just kind of looked at Beyonce. It's like, I love her. I think she can sing and dance. I respect her as a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. But I just personally was not, like, enthralled by her. But then little by little over time, like, she started to win me over when she had her self-titled album. And that, to me, in terms of musicality, just doing something that completely is unheard of in this generation, which is putting out a body of work. This is the generation of stream, 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 single, 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 uh, Spotify. And apparently there's some new shit called SoundCloud rappers. Like, niggas just ain't even rapping normally no more. But... She put out a body of work that made me go, okay, this took time. This took effort. She's thinking. She's very strategic. Then she put out Lemonade. Now, people could say what they want in terms of like, oh, it's fake or, you know, they were strategic about how they did it to make money. They are a fucking brand and a power couple. So, yes, they move as a brand would move. I personally don't find anything wrong with that. And if it was cathartic for them, so be it. But yesterday, for me personally, when I saw her come out onto stage dressed as Nefertiti, then giving homage to all the brothers and sisters that have come before. And, and I also, I'm not a Greek. I, I didn't pledge anything um, in undergrad, but I respect that aspect of my culture, right? And if we look at it, Beyonce, I think, was homeschooled. Like, she, she never went to college. I don't even know if she finished high school. But when I looked at that for me, She officially won me over because I was like, here was a black woman in the whitest fucking space that you could have been in that weekend. Like Coachella can easily run you a grip. Like that is not no cheap ass festival to go to. Giving the blackest performance of her career, literally standing in her black. And that's something that for me, I was just like, okay, if you thought that she was super politically correct or that she doesn't get it or that, you know, she doesn't see the lack of intersectionality between the Me Too movement or the fact that she doesn't, you know, recognize what's happening with Black Lives Matter. Like, even from the detailing of her outfits. Like, I, I watched the video, like, ten times. Found myself actually going to class. I was sitting here like, well, damn it. Like, let me write down these references. Um... Which to me was funny and ironic. And then on top of it, her had the nerve to wipe her face. I need to know the setting spray. If anyone, I don't care, gay, straight, white, black, please tell me. Because she gave two hours of performance and I saw nothing come off her face. I can't even go to weak ass persona. Well, not persona. I love persona, actually. I'm sorry. I meant reverie. I can't even go to dry ass reverie and stand there and order a pina colada without like half my face in my hand by the time the night's over. Damn NYX products. But for me, it just was a moment of, of pride and happiness and celebration. I am scared. No, I'm not scared because we're going to have a good conversation. <laughs> but I'm just like, I noticed it's going to end with us being like, we're going to agree to disagree. How did you feel in terms of what you have heard 
about Beyonce's show yesterday. I, I haven't heard anything, but I'm gonna tell you this: I just learned something. I just learned. I just learned what setting spray was because I didn't know what the hell that was. They have some setting spray, right? It's it's after you get your zhuzh on that cute face. You don't want to wipe it off on your hand or put it on your guy's like collar or whatever. So you gotta you bake your face and uh, you set it, okay. and then you gotta set. Th- it's basically like yeah, see, I'm fully engulfed in my masculinity. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that is. What? Okay. But, <laughs> I mean, you know, I've seen some Instagram posts, but I kind of been out the loop. Uh, I was, I knew it was coming on. I wasn't interested in watching it. Uh, well, I can't see. Well, I didn't think you and your wife was gonna be like, "Baby, we staying up till two. I was up. I just wasn't interested oh, in watching it. Oh my god. Okay, go. Yeah, I just, you know, and I, and that's not a knock on Beyonce. I think Beyonce is great at what Beyonce does, right? Beyonce is an entity. She's a businesswoman, right? She's a master capitalist. You know what I mean? And I think she's making the best of the moment. As she makes the best of all moments, right? So I, when you put them in, you just said they were a brand, right? They move as a unit. They operate in this certain space, right? Her and Jay. And I'm a, I'm a Jay fan, right? And all, you know, I want to be upfront about that. Right. But he did a show with Van Jones a few months back, right? Oh, I'll see you and then. I know what you guys say. offended the shit out of me, right? Because what it, rec- what it, what it, what it, what it, what it spoke to was how watered down the Jay-Z I was always a fan of has become, right? And I think that we got to separate, again, this is us. They do what they're supposed to do. They're making money, right? I made the same argument about Cardi B the other day, right? But, but again, we, we champion anything that fucking makes money. We champion it. Oh, good job. Good job for making money, right? But the reality of it is capitalism is the demon that keeps us oppressed, Right, and with in my opinion again, my humble opinion, <laughs> right, it's symbolism over substance, right. I think that B takes advantage of the moment. Where was Beyonce in regards to blackness? Mm, where was any of these black people in regards to blackness pre Barack Obama? Let's see. Um, he came onto the scene in two thousand eight. No, he started making waves in two thousand. Seven or six when he did the Democratic National Convention speech, and then they grew. Yeah, he him. wasn't making no fucking waves. He wasn't making no waves till he started winning the presidency. Right when right. he started going there, he made waves in Illinois with his little DNC speech. But out, oh, outside of that, right? okay. Most black people were still supporting Hillary then, right? I mean, in terms of Beyonce, she always has been a pre. She's always been a first artist. So in terms of like celebrating her blackness or I, I didn't think it was something that she wasn't doing up until a certain point. I think she's become more free and she even herself has said that she's become more comfortable with being more free about ter- talking about certain subjects. I think that's also something that money does buy you. It's kind of like she's at the point in her career where you can't put her back in the box. Like she, she is worth too much. So even if you don't like necessarily what you say, what brand is going to stop working with her? What brand is not gonna want her to dress the, or not gonna want to dress her? Oh, oh, I think brands will still stop working with her. Really? Don't you believe that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. But the thing is, is they if they outwardly stop working with her, then that instantly will receive backlash from their target audience or or an as a subsect of their target audience. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that to me is a huge problem. What what happened to Oprah when Oprah went against the meat industry? You remember that? When Oprah, they got upset at her, mm-hmm. and then she still cashed the fuck out. Oprah shut the fuck up and changed the whole shit around. You th- okay? So I also was a child. I, I remember 
loosely when that happened. So you're going to have to break that down for me in terms of the Oprah argument. It's just a reference to power, right? Because I'm not a fan of Oprah either, right? But my point is, these industries and entities are humongous. Like, we don't even really gauge and grasp how much money is at play here, right? So Beyonce has money in reference to us. Beyonce don't have money in reference to Pepsi. It's a different conversation. Right? It's a very different conversation. So that's that's new money versus capitalism, right? These people run this country. You know what I'm saying? And that's a different conversation. Which have been, so, yes, the same demographic since. So, I, again, and I don't want to, I'm not downplaying Beyonce. I'm downplaying our affinity to those kind of messages, those kind of images. So right? what was wrong with, okay, so. It, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not based in any substance what the fuck does dressing up like Nefertiti do at an all-white crowd? Then you go on tour and your goddamn tour tickets is $500 a piece to the same sisters you out here idolizing. If you really gave a fuck, your tickets for the young sisters did spending. I know a girl just spent her whole check on that one ticket. That's insanity. That's insane. As a, as a performer, that is insane. You think you worth $500 for two hours? Whatever the ticket number is, I don't know what the ticket number is because I'm not, you know, I'm not never going to no Beyonce concert. But I mean, the reality of it is, all you are is a master capitalist, and I'm not knocking your hustle. But we got to see through the BS. I think the thing is, okay, so you asked the point of what is it that she? How did you just phrase it? What is it that she shows to, or what does it do if you see her as Nefertiti or whatever? Mm-hmm. I think to everyone who saw that on YouTube, especially what recently happened when that whole bus came out, right? And they had this little dry clay face and right uh, representation of Nefertiti. When we know historically that whether it was Carthage or aspects of Egyptian culture that before case in point, like Alexander the Great and everything, these were African based countries. I'm clear. No, 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 no. I'm not explaining. You know, I'm not uh, explaining I, I it to you. Too. But <laughs> I'm just like. So the thing is to see that. When so many other people try and dismiss it or make excuses or not even accept it, that is a powerful statement because I feel like that's something that is showing intrinsically like our power, our worth, our autonomy, our beauty, despite everything else that we've been through. The fact of like, I know for a fact the white people that were there were confused and didn't know what the fuck they were looking. They were screaming, they were cheering because of course it's Beyonce and anything she does is glitter and gold. But in terms of the depth of what that means for our culture, I think that was something that I personally look at it as a powerful moment. Now, I know like you differ in your opinion, but I don't think that was necessarily symbolism over substance. I know that Beyonce at times has given back to a lot of different Mm -hmm. entities and not doing it as a tax write-off, doing it truly because she wants to make a difference and that she cares. They gave to the original Black Lives Matter people in St. Louis. They did. They also, with Hurricane Harvey, were providing um, food. She has Mm -hmm. even her own center. um, Quietly with the Black Lives Matter thing. That, to me, at the time made sense just based on the fact that, let's be real, like, it's Beyonce. And I I remember whenever I was like, well, why wasn't she more vocal at Trayvon Martin at their at the rallies that were going on with Trayvon Martin? And I looked at it, maybe, I didn't look at it from a PR standpoint outside of the fact of, like, well... I know we are supposed to be here for this, but she knows that would have been people bum rushing her. Even when I think about her in terms of a mu- as a music artist, the things that I know about her through like the industry, she has thirty seconds to leave a stadium before she gets mobbed. I got a question. Or twenty eight seconds. But Why do we look to musicians as our leadership? I think we look to musicians as our leadership. And entertainers. Let me not say musicians. Entertainers in general. Well, I think that's a part of, yes, the illusion of TV or basically like, oh, what it is that they present. You know, we think. What do they present? 
if you are a singer outside of your talent, it's the just of like whatever it is that you stand for. For Rihanna, she's bold, she's brazen, she is you know fully owning being a woman. Bullshit. <gasps> oh. No, I'm not saying Rihanna doesn't own those things, but that's not what we look into. What do you? Okay, so what do you think we look? We look into the mastery of capitalism, the goddamn same system that oppresses us. That's the only reason they got a goddamn voice. Not knocking nobody's hustle. But I know dudes that's rapping on 79th Street that get rapped just like Jay-Z, and I'm not even being funny, right? Mickey Halstead is literally one of my favorite rappers. Oh, Mickey is nice as hell. Right? Mickey is literally my, one of my favorite, if not my favorite rapper, right? Mick got a lot to say. Why we ain't looking at Mick? He right here in your hometown. Because he doesn't have the capitalist all around him. You have no value. You've not mastered the white space. So do you think that it's impossible then to master? So from what, it, how I'm ingesting it, tell me if I'm wrong. So do you think that because what you look at with Beyonce or entertainers in general, that if they have mastered the white space, then they now are invalidating? No, I'm not invalidating okay. them at all. Okay. I'm invalidating us looking to them for their opinion about oppression, if not nothing else. They've mastered, and they've not mastered, they've just been accepted into the game. Right, which is why they had to give quietly to 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 the Black Lives Matter. Which is why, when she becomes this 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 iconic figure, she can step outside of herself and do little things. You know, dress up like Nefertiti. It's a goddamn costume, great, right? And I'm not knocking their hustle at all, right? I think that's awesome that they've been allowed to play the game, right? If that's what the goal is. But in regards to oppression and our people, we cannot look to them for our answers. They are not the people. Right? They're not the people. So who do you think then we should be looking to for answers? <clears throat> first and foremost, we should be looking in the mirror. That's well, first true. and foremost. Into our own power. That's first and foremost, right? And then we got to master the game. We got to master politics because that's where the real change is going to happen. Period. It's not money. It's power. Money don't mean shit in the face of power. It's two ways to get power. Finance and force. And the dude with the gun is going to dictate what the motherfucker with the money do. Which is why the NRA kind of runs the country. Right? So it's guns and butter, baby. That's just what it is. It's guns and butter. You know what I'm saying? But that's the reality. We got to let go of that philosophy, right? Put it in perspective. Auntie Maxine just the other day took on uh, the reparations battle, right? Right. And that was news. But here's the reality, right? How many other black politicians in America will even say the fucking word reparations? Well, you understand what I'm saying? We know that would be far and few in between. Right, which is a a, a direct a, a direct reflection of how powerless we really are. Right, they won't even say the goddamn word out loud. Which that the last three presidential campaigns didn't even say the word poverty out loud. Uh, Ain't no mm. There's studies on this shit. We can look it up. Ain't no mm. They wouldn't even say fucking poverty. We got to let go of this bullshit symbolism and get some real substance. So, okay, so you we want us to have... We live in a community where our medium net worth is 1700 You fuckers can't say poverty? And we voting for you and championing you? Come on, man. Is Barack signing that community agreements benefit over there in South Shore? Is he really for our people? Let's be real here now. But all right, then. I personally, this is totally going to end in... One of the big fundamental struggles. I feel like we honestly represent part of the issue of the community. Like we can't pick a fucking side. Like, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not, and definitely everyone listening. My whole brand is based on the fact. Like, speak your truth, speak your opinion. This is a safe space. Don't come in my shit talking crazy, which you have not. But 
I think this is a great example of like the issue that we have. Like I personally loved the performance yesterday. I literally been telling everybody like I have never been happier than to have some braids in my hair and roll up into my job as one of the only, you know, or few people, persons of color. Um, but is it something in the sense of like we just need to figure out or actually stop talking about it and figure out something to do? And then it's like how do I know you said politics, right? Mm-hmm. Me personally, I look at Beyonce. I'm like I think she represents change and action as a woman in her autonomy through art, through creative space, which is something that we take for granted. Especially like even when I look on a local level, the first thing that's gonna go from a school if they budget fucked up, oh girl, we're getting the merit music program out of here. Y'all ain't getting no new supplies for anything that's art related. And we just going to base it on this core curriculum. So that for me, when you ask like, oh, well, should we be looking to entertainers? No, we should be looking within ourselves. But I think what Beyonce represents, even if it is her hustle or her shtick or whatever, or what she has developed herself into. And maybe that is part of the reason why now I fuck with Beyonce. Whereas before I was just like, okay, girl, I guess sing. I care. Mm -hmm. Um, And do this if I were a boy thing. That's cute. But I think she represents change within the fact that you can be more than just a singer and a dancer. You can sit here and represent your culture and be proud of it, which is something that in general black people always are having to fight to prove why we should be proud of ourselves. So let me say, again, I am not have negative to say about Beyonce. I think Beyonce is doing what Beyonce does I'm best. telling. I'm not no. afraid of Beyonce. <laughs> right? But I think, again, it goes back to us understanding our position in the world. Right? So when you say we can't get on... Uh, the same wavelength. I agree. But that's because we've been educated by white supremacist system. We've bought into white supremacist ideologies and we believe in white supremacy. It's a goddamn religion. Well, can I ask you, what's the difference between <coughs> what you, like case in point, you say how you drive an Audi mm-hmm. and you also got your Honda and I, or Hyundai, sorry, mm-hmm. sorry to cars, whatever. And I'm I'm pretty sure you got your, your riding through your my haircut car where it's just like, oh, let me pull out, you know, the, the one that's the cool car. But at the end of the day, like you yourself say that you play into the you know the system or the system or the game of the system right to make change or to get what it is that you want to actually help the community why aren't like how are they not doing the same thing just on a way grander scale so again right it intrinsically has no value to me what has value to me is my people that shit intrinsically has zero value to me right i know my people value it you understand me which is the difference why i could talk that shit dead broke or with a hundred billion in my pocket, because I feel the same way, right? So when I when I talk about the Beyonces and even the Oprahs of the world and how they all magically appeared when Barack the Magic Negro showed up, right? It represented the change in the culture, right? It was cool to be black while Barack was president, and we saw an emergence of a of, of a status quo class that did not exist before, right? At least not from those standards, right? And we got to understand that that's our issue. Right, we look at ourselves as trendy. We looking at them. We look at ourselves as they look at us. Right. So you even spoke about the arts leaving the schools, and you talked about Beyonce and Nefertiti. Well, here's something that I've just been thinking about lately a lot. Without never crossing the shores back to Africa, we have a rich history right here on this soil. Matter of fact, we're the most dominant culture in the motherfucking world now. Oh, definitely. Right. But we don't put any fucking value on that shit. The next, the newest culture that comes along. The the one the one generation before that that shit gets erased. It ain't no a, a man alive, a woman alive, a black man, a woman alive that's under forty that know shit about jazz. That's the reality. Uh, right? at, mm, in so mass, I, oh, in okay, mass, say, right? Be careful you ain't now, gonna hear it on the radio. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? But we've f- totally forgotten that culture. 
We just let the shit go, right? That's part of our ability to be, one, being born next to the equator, right, coming from the equator, having an abundance of every fucking thing, being creative, being uh, able to share everything and all our energies. We let go of shit. It don't, we don't hold, it don't hold the same value, which is why we create new cultures every, 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 every generation. Right. Right? But we don't hold any, we don't own the shit and we don't value the shit. So we got to go back all the way to Africa to feel proud. Fuck that. Our culture, American black people, dominate world culture today. Why we got to go back to Nefertiti? And I'm not knocking Nefertiti at all, right? I'm not knocking the continent. But the shit we did here, the shit we're doing here with $1,700 in a goddamn bank account is fucking amazing. Let's value that. I mean, I did just see uh, the chick from Inglorious Bastards in a spray-painted hoodie that I know for a fact was at Four City, Evergreen Plaza. Everybody took them little Magic City photos or Magic Picture photos and spray-painted stuff. And they are now selling that shit for like $800. My friend literally, Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, everyone's... My friend literally texted me. He was like, please talk about this because it's driving me fucking crazy how it always happens. So I do agree in terms of that. We definitely, we are culture. Mm -hmm. Like, and I say it all the time, this world loves blackness. They don't love black people. You love everything that we produce and, oh, they're shiny, they're new, they're fun, they're this, they're that. But it's like, you don't give a fuck about us. Um, But this aspect, I definitely did want to have this. You know, when I think about it, there's no one else I would have wanted to have this conversation with today. Because the thing is, we do have differing opinions, but we could talk about this shit on some adult stuff. So that's what I appreciate. Um, so now we are going to move right into, since you've been sitting here pressing me, making me feel like I need to nebulize the treatment, got me nervous. Like, I'm like, ooh, do I have like an antihistamine? Is the hive going to say some shit? All four of them, they're probably going to like <laughs> listen to this tomorrow. <laughs> But Get the numbers up. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I don't even know how to like. What the do I title? What do I? Welcome. What do I title this? Uh, it wasn't me, y'all. <laughs> That's gonna be the title of our show. <laughs> it wasn't me. So, um, I'm gonna move right into talking to you, uh, Mr. Man of the Hour, and hitting it with the spotlight. So, you know, I was gonna keep this question cute. Say, I'm gonna ask it right now. You love being around in the sense of really evoking change. Why the hell ain't you running for office? So, because we don't fully understand and grasp politics and I would lose my uh, position of power in the city that I have right now. I have more power from outside the confines of politics than I do, than I would have in. So what do you think? Okay, and I know like someone (laughs) listening, not everyone who listens to my show is from Chicago, Mm -hmm. right? So they're probably going like, what the hell are y'all talking about? But... In the most basic of layman terms, what is it that you think, or how do you think your representation is with the the, the mayor's office or whoever is in power within this city as it pertains to especially young African Americans? Because you do have their ear. Like, they'll listen to so, you before they listen to anybody I, out the mayor's office. How do I want to say this? They're afraid of me. I know that. I know they're afraid of me. I feel like you Malcolm X when he did the hand thing. They're afraid of me. I know they're afraid of me, right? But that's where the power comes from. And I think I would... So there's certain things I want to say and there's certain things I don't want to well, say. Well, I mean, Let's also like don't this. get me in trouble. They're afraid. <laughs> like... there's, a, there's a level of fear attached to my name because they know I have a kind of a social influence that they're not accustomed to, right? It's not based in money. It's not based in uh, network. It's just based in people just... They identify with the stuff I talk. 
and they know I'm not for no games, right? I'm a I'm a real native son of the city too, in the most realist Come way. Come on, possible. Richard, right? You know I saw I mean? you drop that in. Yes, nigga. It is what it is. I heard right? that. But it, and that's in the realest way possible, because like I'm not a high parking, and I don't want to knock high parkings, but right, I, I I can move through from the hundreds to the west side, and everybody gonna somebody gonna know me from from way young. You know what I mean? So I kind of got. I got a different relationship with the city. And I love this city, right? I, I love this city. I breathe Chicago. I love this city. It's beautiful True. to me. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm a Chicago and then an American. Real talk. <laughs> like, the only thing that keeps us from being, like, just on some Cuba shit is the fact that we are in the middle of the Midwest. That's like, real. if we were on a border state, I'd have been, different. like, send us somewhere. We something different, though, right? And we don't even give credit to how different we are. We got to put in perspective, man. In in, in America, we are the this, it's Cook County. The county of Cook mm-hmm. is the largest concentration of black people in America, right? And if you grew up in Cook County in between hey, 19, probably 66 to to the last five years, you could walk through this joint and not see a white person. Oh. Right? We can talk about that. It was like we was in exile. So we have a different understanding of the world. Exactly. I didn't even start to see white people. I remember the green line was like the way for me. That was like the vein for my family where we were living in the low end to get downtown. Mm -hmm. I knew for a fact I was not going to see a white person until I got to 35th Street. Now they on 63rd. Like, you know, I'm sitting there like, are you? Like, what is happening? No, they coming to get what's theirs. And we letting them have it, right? Because it it speaks to our ignorance and our lack of understanding how politics works. But because of that fact, right, because we were such a secluded place, because we are the epitome of American racism, right? That's Chicago is the most segregated city in America, right? Oh, still, definitely. So we lacked a lot of of, uh, funds, let's say that, because funds didn't travel through the black communities like they would travel through integrated or diverse communities, right? But what we got, though, what we got is beautiful, and we got to understand that. What we got was an understanding that probably no other black people in America got, right? We got to see what a real black community looked like, right? Thriving black communities, too. We without it getting burned down, without yeah. it getting, you know. My my experience, man, which was such a unique experience, I grew up in a small neighborhood called West, West Chesterfield, right? Which mm-hmm. was interesting because it was it was really like from state to, state to king, 95th to like 99th. Right, the pocket. It was a real pocket, right? Pocket of space. So on one side you got Princeton Park, the other side you got Rose, the other side you got Burnside, and then you got Eighty Seven. We were really an island within that in that area, right? Right. But in that one little pocket of neighborhood, you had John Johnson. You had in the eighties. It was the wealthiest all black community in America. Now, this fucked me up, right? Because in the wealthiest all black community in America, it was a dope house right next door to me, and it was a whole house across the street. Definitely. Right, which made me say, well, shit, we don't got much, do we? Right, but it also gave me the wealth of saying I could relate to the to the to the dope boy and the, and the whole house as humans. Yes, come right? through, like as ugh. humans. And John Johnson wasn't nothing different than me neither, right? Because I could shovel his snow and learn shit from him. Exactly. Judge Pension was in the neighborhood. I got a relationship with him, and I also had a relationship with the hoe. Right. I don't want to say her name, but just to get reference, my uh, right? block hoe was. And let me tell you something. She got to the point where I was like, she became like the main hoe, not only on Prairie, but also on like Calumet too. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Like when I found out she, I, I cried, like I felt away because yeah. that was a they woman. became part of our family. Exactly. Absolutely. Like what you come from. But that's the thing. Like you have a, 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 a relationship. And I, I think that's the thing that me and you bond on. It's like, yeah, I love saying that I grew up in the low end. Like, I don't I don't shrink back from that. I don't, you know, sit here. And I, the first week of work, I was already talking about, like, 
oh, I grew up in Bronzeville, you know, and this is the area, and it's now starting to be, you know, something that people are more so interested in. But I was like, I remember it in the 90s, and there still are food deserts. I don't mm-hmm. care how much you think the Mariano's on 35th is popping. That's a cemetery for a lot of black and brown boys who were, you know, living in the wells. When it was the Ida B's, right? Exactly. You know, same thing where everybody out here playing flag football and making their next tender mistake on the weekends in the summertime <laughs> where Robert Taylor's was. I love your references. I'm just saying, like, everybody out here, like, ooh, trying to get chosen. I'm like, you getting shows where hella niggas got killed, right. okay? Where hella girls got thrown. Hole. Thank you. Where you got thrown that. off the tops of buildings. It was like every other weekend that shit would happen in, in, in Chicago or just in the hoods all across America. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that if you are one of the few people that actually have the connection to both sides of the world, like I say all the time, I'm I'm an excellent bilingual person. I can I speak my community as well as code switching very eloquently. You would see me sitting there just as calm as, as bees knees in a, a meeting with the mayor's office, and I didn't listen to all the Gucci, all the money bag, yo, you know as funny. I was driving up here. But that's why I say with the relatability that you have, I, ha- I just had to know, like, and you know that the time is coming. Like, people are sick of wrong. And I know they're, they, everyone wants, like, Troy Lavery, if I said his name correctly. But I'm just saying, like, in general, that's, like, whatever. Is he going to be the next Harold Washington? But when I think about... That's interesting. You're hearing that a lot. We'll talk. But <laughs> I didn't... I, this ain't about me. You ain't questioning me on my shit. Hold on. Like, I just sat here. I'm like, let me stop. I'm getting nervous. No. <laughs> but, no, that's what I'm saying. In regards to it, I just had to know... Um, the funny thing is, all the other questions I had, we already done talked about that shit. You didn't answer, like, your position within black youth. You didn't talk about race relations, the difference of, like, so let's the talk Negroes about that have... I'm sorry, talk about what? Troy Lavarie, or whatever his name was you No, said. we're not. What? We are not doing this <laughs> to the fuck day. <laughs> like, not at all. You already done got me sitting here going, like... <laughs> Willie go weird. Willie go weird. I'm rocking with Willie. You think... So I met with Willie last week, and I think Willie is really. A- I think Willie is the black Nixon. He has all the capabilities. It's just a matter of we shallow as fuck, and don't nobody like like him. That's real, but Willie talking some real black shit, man. I really like that, but I, he can't win. You know, he can't. He can't articulate, and we know how we are. Right. You know, and see- to all of the non-Chicagoans listening, uh, just let me set the story up. Um, we trying to get another Harold Washington into the mayor's office, but the thing is, he ain't like cute and sexy like Barack, so it probably ain't gonna happen. So whoever that is in your city that's actually making change and probably could really be doing some shit, but he isn't in the right packaging, there, there's your Willie Bum that you personally can have. Um, but yeah, so I, I just, you know, I love you to pieces, even though you drive me nuts. Oh, you drive me nuts. I'll be sitting there like, oh, too, just. I ain't saying drink the Kool-Aid, but then can you stir the pitcher? Like, give us something. Damn. Zero-grade reliance. You understand me? I'm not hearing none of that shit. But you know what? That's a good... You got to keep it real in the community. You had your Booker T's. You also had your Marcus Garvey's. You also... Let's talk about that shit. Oh, right? damn. Booker T was a goddamn coon. <laughs> he was. He was a super But queen. also, you know what? I have slightly become a little bit more understanding... To Booker T for one reason. Help me out, cause I'm I'm lost. I don't. I look it. at him as he was a former slave, who I do feel like there was a little bit of intrinsic like he was going to. He probably also was kind of scared, like you know what? We only are two months out of this. They can change this law real quick and throw our asses right back. 
I don't think that he was looking at it as in terms of self-preservation. I think there was a part underneath him that really was just, well, let's have them reconcile because we're at least making some sort of strides. I think he thought he was helping. Like T'Challa, right? Exactly. The thing is, we truly look at it. So T'Challa cool? Uh, no. (laughs) He was a bearded up zaddy who was sitting here denying Karen to come to the cookout with that nasty ass potato salad that nobody wants. Oh my God. And he was sitting here. He was a little bit misguided. And, you know, fine. Let's just fuck it. Let's just talk about this for two seconds because then we got to wrap this up. But in terms of who the real G of Wakanda is, it was Nakia. Nakia had the exact same message. Which one was Nakia? Help me out. The one that he wanted to be his queen. The fine one. What's her name? Uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita, okay. Right. Nikki had the same message. Everyone forgets that when they were walking through the village. Even when you meet Nakia, mm-hmm. she's sitting there saving the Boko saving, Haram girl. right? Save, yes, basically saving like you know the girls or the terrorist sect or the girls that were getting kidnapped. And even when she's in the village, she's talking to him, and she was like, "We should be." sharing our resources and pooling them with the world and he's just like no that's not the Wakandan way we got enough shit we dealing with her message was the same thing as Eric the thing is Eric was too damaged to lead because his thing was definitely from a place of personal hurt and the fact that he's a kid came back and his daddy got panther claws in his chest so he knew some shit had happened whereas with her she could holistically look and be like I want to make a difference for everybody she wound up getting her way and probably a ring how so I mean, did they, they not go to, to the U.N.? and built a goddamn community center. We have to start somewhere. God, what did you want? Symbolism <laughs> over stuff. Oh, I mean. okay. We're done. <laughs> Just saying. I am going to the you motivational. What they call that shit? You got all the uranium or whatever. What was it called? Vibranium. Vibranium or whatever. Like, <laughs> your yeah, ass you got all the vibranium and all your ass can do is build a community center? Can they start? Okay. But so. you wouldn't share all your technology with the world. You built a community center in Oakland, though. There's not one there. So, yes, we're going to build one <laughs> again. Goddamn. See how we always get the short end of the stick? You get vibranium. So, what? And you're going to give Oakland a fucking community kids? center? You're going to give black people basketball. That's what you're going to give us, huh? You got your kid in two leagues. What the I'm, fuck? I'm looking for hope. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Like, are you sitting there? I'm like, you got this nigga running suicides every IG video. But I don't have vibranium. Okay. So I'm looking for hope. So you you're, trying, me? <laughs> you're trying to find the earthly way. But I am done with you. Okay. I am going to my motivational work because I feel like I need it. <laughs> like, goddamn. Bring it down a notch so we can end this on a calmer level. I was thinking this weekend, especially as I was moved by Beyonce. Mm. <laughs> and, as well as everyone else um, who is taking or, you know, just evoking change. And when I was doing my research for James Weldon Johnson, number one, I remember being a little girl. If anyone, I don't know if this was maybe just a Chicago thing, but Scholastic Book Club would have like book fairs in schools. And when I tell you that shit was like, I didn't give a fuck about the dance troupe at Beasley. I went to Beasley Academic Center. I went to Beasley Academic Center. Hey, come on, B. Do you remember the Creed? I don't know like that shit. I oh, see, I still remember the creed. But what I, what I will say is this: like, I looked for that shit more than I did for Christmas. And the one book that my my dad in second grade I had to get because it had the creation in there was a book about James Weldon Johnson by some like author Jane Roberts somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But when I started to do more research on him, there's something that he did in 1917 that just shook me to my core, right? And in 1917, when he was the field secretary, and I said this earlier, for the NAACP, he went on kind of like an undercover assignment and something that could have even ended up with him being lynched, right? But he basically reported on the lynching of L persons. So this is, I'm not trying to end this. I know you all listen to this on Mondays, but I just wanted, when I say we are our ancestors' wildest dreams, like we are truly standing on the hopes of dreams of people that literally all they wanted to do was just live. And time and time again, that that opportunity was cut from them. So L Persons was a 50-year-old woodcutter in Tennessee who basically wound up getting lynched because he was accused of raping and decapitating uh, Antoinette Rappel. Um, at first, the story was, and her mom thought that the 16-year-old had, like, just left to join, or I think to join a traveling troop. But then they found her body um, in the body of water or whatever that was half a mile from L person's house. Because we totally know, like, if you find it within the vicinity, then that means the person definitely did it. So her body was found a half mile from his house, and because she had accidents in her skin, obviously she had been decapitated. They automatically assumed that it was him. So they rounded up a bunch of black men, but because, you know, they tortured him for 24 hours, of course, when you are in extreme situations like that, you will confess, <coughs> John Burke. Um, so he confessed. And they basically set up the lynching. Now, the reason why James Weldon Johnson was such a G in this situation is because he reported on the carnival, carnival. Like, day after prime, we all going to Six Flags to get fucked up and do, like, nasty things in the parking lot type atmosphere in which people were reporting in the newspaper. It was the top headline story about the lynching that was supposed to take place at 9 a.m. in the morning. There were reports of how teachers were saying in different counties that, like, up to 50 boys were missing from their schools or basically had, like, taken a sick day so that they could go for this community event. So I just... When I was even reading the story, it was kind of, like, emotional for me because we mm -hmm. hear about these lynching stories all the time, you know? But if you have that type of, like, let's literally let that sink in. These are children who are having a heinous, dehumanizing event imprinted on them. And then they turn around and grow up to be your what? Your druggist, your police officers, your real, real estate mm -hmm. um, professionals, your soldiers, your lawyers. In every aspect of American society or just society in general, they now take leadership positions with that type of, you know, image ingrained in their mind how do you not see how it's a systematic issue how this isn't something that just happened and we need to let it go so basically the one thing i found out when i was doing all my research on l persons is how he never after like the the gavel came down basically he never tried to you know to to claim freedom again because we you just know in that moment like this so, is just the finality and this is what my end is going to be so authorities on top of it use this evidence Science from a popular French uh, uh, philosopher, not philosopher, but scientist by the name of Alphonse Bertillon, who claimed that looking into a victim's pupils, you could see the last thing that they saw before they died. So what they did was they exhumed the girl's body, and authorities claimed that they could see persons, ill persons, in the girl's eyes. 
I can't like I cannot make this up. It's the literally how did, does it sound familiar? Like even when you have just fucking facts and common sense in your face, the dash cam showing, you know, this person isn't in it being aggressive. They aren't causing problems in Starbucks. They're saying I'm a licensed gun owning citizen. They are selling loose cigarettes over and over again. Even when fucking facts are in your face, people will see what they want to see. Because if they want an ending to be a certain way, they will construct the story in that manner. So after they exhumed his body, what turned from a carnival developed into over 5,000 people showing up to watch this man be lynched. They poured gasoline on him. They burned him alive. They took pieces of his body, took pictures of it. These postcards circulated for months. I know this story. Yeah. I know this story now. Postcards circulated for months. And then, to add further insult to injury, they took his head, went to Beale Street, which was the center of the black community. Basically, if, like, someone comes into, like, the middle of, like, D.C., okay? (laughs) And they threw his head at a car full of black doctors who were heading out. After they had, mind you, left his body to be on display in the middle of the town. So... How are you as a black person? You see what the world around you feels about you. And so when you see these instances of, well, why are you tearing these statues down? There have been people that have had to be brave enough to take bodies down of our community, you know, members, of our families, of our friends. And so the fact that James Weldon Johnson, who not only penned those words, lift every voice and sing, but reported on this, And it showed up in the NAACP crisis magazine. And, of course, just one of the many different examples. And this was in 1917. Mind you, what caused true change? Because the NAACP had been reporting this. Emmett Till happened in 1955. So it still took 30-plus-something years for finally it to be reconciled. People like, you know what? This is a fucking problem. So when I say that we truly are our ancestors' wildest dreams, we come from so much in the sense that there were just moments where people just wanted to live and had to just forfeit even the passion for that because they knew that it was going to be a few uh, exercise in futility. So I'm like, how much more so should we be now looking at our lives and really exemplifying how are we living? Because we truly are standing on the hopes and dreams of our ancestors who at times did not have the opportunity to make that happen for themselves. I'm not trying to end this on a, a sad note. It is still a note of victory. It is still a note of, of hope and courage. And I hope that everyone has an amazing week. Um, do something great. Don't snap because of microaggressions. And I will hit y'all on the flip side. Hopefully, if I don't get everybody going, well, bitch, you talked about Beyonce. So it's, it's curtains. <laughs> um, but I, I hope to see you all next week again for Joy Has Questions. You girls out. Bye.